and welcome to Delving Into Draft. My name is Steve, I'm one of your hosts, and joining me this week is... Dan. Hi Dan, how you doing? Okay, good. Yay. Astute listeners uh, may realise that Craig is not with us today, so we're, we're joined with you Dan, aren't we? Yep, um, I'm his replacement for today. Well, kind of. Yeah. You're his replacement, and I'm your replacement. Yeah, so you're my replacement. That feels odd. <laughs> <laughs> How does it feel being me, Dan? It feels very unusual. I don't think uh, I've been you before, so... Yeah. I'm usually me. So, for listeners who don't know who Dan is, Dan sometimes does uh, video streaming with us and things on... Yeah. I've done a couple on Twitch TV. Twitch TV, yeah. We're, we're not sure where, where we're going with that. We might do more, we might not. But I also play with these guys at F&M every week. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll just fire off into the news. You okay with that, buddy? Yep. Okay. So it's been a pretty slow news week this week. We've had, uh, or we've got Grand Prix Indianapolis coming up, and that's in Indiana, and it's on December twenty second to the twenty third. The format is Return to Ravnica, Sealed Deck, and Booster Draft. I suppose it's also worth mentioning that there was a Grand Prix trial at Dundee this week, uh, the or last weekend. And the winner of that was Chris Davey. He was playing a zombies deck. He was playing, well, I think it's your friend, Gabor. You know, you know Gabor, Dan? Yeah, yeah, I'm playing against Gabor. He was also, <laughs> he was also playing a, a green black zombies deck. Yeah, zombies is doing well at the moment. Yeah, I, I was playing that too, but I came eight, which made me sad. Eight out of? Fifteen. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, was, it was a small event. It was a small event. Yeah, it was quite a small event for GPT. They cut, uh, Top four. Ah, okay. Yeah, rather than a top eight, made more sense. It does. So, we shall move right on into our regular feature of Name That Card. Now, normally me and Craig uh, keep scores over the week, but we're seeing as Dan's here this week, we're going to have a special themed festive Name That Card. So, uh, what we're going to do is pick a card from throughout magic history which has a particular festive theme and the other person has to guess what it is. Do you want to start Dan or shall I? You can go with your first. Okay. So, hold on, let me find the card first. Uh, here we go. Right, I'm looking at a red card. Okay. Any help to you? No? Any wild guesses? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> do, do you want me to go for a wild guess? Because I think I might. Okay, have a crack, have a crack. Goblin Slider? No! Oh! No, it's not. <laughs> however, however, you're, you're very close. It's from the same set. So it's from Ice Age. Okay. Surprisingly. It's four mana to cast. Um, I don't know Ice Age very well. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be difficult. Okay. Right, so, so it's red and four mana. And a 1-1. One, one. And it's a 1-1. One, one. And it's a 1-1. One, one. Do you hmm. want to know the abilities? Would that help? It might. I appreciate it's pretty difficult from an old set. So, so whenever this creature blocks, prevent all cr- combat damage that would be dealt to and dealt by it this turn. And you can tap this creature and it deals one damage to target Creature, it's blocking. Hmm. I'm sure I recognise it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I don't know. tell <laughs> <laughs> you. I don't know Ice Age at all. <laughs> well. Uh, nah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. It was a valiant effort with Goblin Sledder. I thought you were... And you almost got it. I was like, ah, he's going to get it. It was Goblin Snowman. Oh, it... <sighs> <laughs> I've heard of that card. I just had no idea what it actually done, so yeah. I never, I never thought of it. Such a Christmassy card. Ah oh, well, never mind, eh? <laughs> hey ho, hey ho. Okay. And your turn. Well, I had considered doing Goblin Slider, but that would be a little bit too obvious now. <laughs> um, so we're going to go with a different one instead. Okay. Okay, so it's an artifact. Okay. It's from one of the, the biggest artifact sets. Oh, Dan, Dan. I think I know where you're going with this. Okay. Does it, does it cost nothing to cast? It doesn't cost nothing to cast. It doesn't cost nothing to nope. cast. 
Oh, it one to cast. Oh. See, I was going to say Ursula's Bobble. No, not Ursula's Bobble. Although you, 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 you're kind of on the right, right line. Oh. Christmas Eve. It's uh, from Fifth Dawn. And fifth. it's a common. I'll give you the flavour text, but I'm not oh. sure if that'll help. Um, it is the moment of discovery, the triumph of the mind, the reimagining of past glory. Hmm. Which does kind of key in with what the card does. And it's an artifact. Costs one mana. One mana. No, you're going to have to give me something else. Is there anything else to give me? I'll give you the ability. It's tap and sacrifice card name. Yeah. To put up to one target card from your graveyard on the bottom of your library and draw a card. It's seen some limelight recently um, in the eggs deck. Yeah, it's one of the eggs cards, isn't it? And it is, is it Conjurer's Bubble? Or it something? is, well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought it was going to be the zero mana Urzer's Ur- Bubble. Yeah, there was a few bubbles actually to yeah, choose from. Because yeah, yeah. um, there's been victory. five in the history of uh, Magic. Ah, oh, yeah, cool. Conjurer's Bobble, Mishra's Bobble, yep. Urza's Bobble, Wayfarer's Bobble, and I had to look the other one up, which was Lodestone Bobble. Oh! I hadn't nice. heard of it. Okay. Shall we move on? Um, yep. Okay. In previous weeks, we've talked about different ways of drafting different guilds from Ravnica. And then we took a bit of a break, and this week... I thought we could discuss some of the less obvious archetypes you could draft within the set. So this week we're going to start with Orts of Enchantments, and we'll go through them in the same way as we did in previous sets that we talked about. So, Dan, do you want to kick us off with the sort of cards you'd be looking out for if you were drafting Orts of Enchantments? Maybe we should point out Orts of would be the combination of black and white. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the, the main idea behind the deck um, is, is the enchantments. Mostly, offensively, you've got your ethereal armor, which, when you're casting a few other enchantments, can become very powerful for one white mana. In particular, you've got your other your other two offensive champ- enchantments, which would be um, Knightly Valor and Deviant Glee. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's not that un- unrealistic to curve out with a creature followed by ethereal armor and Deviant Glee suddenly your guy is like a, a six five first striker or something like that, which is pretty scary and, and really hard to deal with on say turn two. So I mean these guys these enchantments can stack up really quickly. Yeah. I mean they're the main reason for playing the deck. Yeah, and I suppose it's really important to get the right creatures for the deck as well. That's that's true, yeah. Yeah. I mean like I suppose a priority's got to be put on creatures with evasion and with abilities, sort of relevant abilities that Work well with a big a boosted up creature? Well you're looking for, for cheap creatures, um so that you can keep the aggressive theme of things. Um but then also cheap creatures that potentially have abilities which are much better when they're on bigger creatures. On that line you put your fencing ace, which is normally a one one double striker, but as soon as you get given plus two plus two for example, it's it's quite scary actually yeah it's a really scary what's potentially six damage coming at you yeah and I mean it kills the three threes which are the sort of mainstay of the format in, in, in first strike damage so that's quite scary yep definitely but I mean then you've also got your, your grim roustabouts um, with regenerate your trained caracals which is not probably the least powerful of these ones um, since yeah. it's a 1-1 one, one lifelink on the ground but if you can play it on turn 1 that lets you get an attack in on turn 2 with a big creature if you've got the enchantments in hand Yeah, it's definitely good for aggression but I, I always worry about it being a bit underpowered if the game goes a bit longer Yeah, it, it potentially is, I mean it's a terrible top deck um, past turn 1 or 2 <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it because it is just a 1-1 one, one on his own Yeah That's one of these things where like a creature to earn his keep on his own if he needs to that's true. Yeah. Which is why the, the obvious upgrade to trade crackle would be dagger drumming. Yeah, definitely. Even when you've not got the enchantments on it, it's still usually able to hit him for one in the air. Um, but then likewise, the, the flying ability is, is something that you want on any of your creatures here as well, because when you've got things making your creatures big, you want them to be evasive, so 
Concordia Pexis and Sunspar Griffin kind of do a similar role. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the reason I think the evasion is really important is when you're playing cards like Stabwound, because like you're obviously using other enchantments from the colours, and Stabwound's yeah. a really good one, and you want to be able to fly over the top of people who've Stabwounded. Exactly. It's, it's not a great idea to let them chump it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a valid point. Because, of course, there are a lot of other good enchantments in, in black and white which kind of make this deck work. I mean, you've got your your removal, obviously, that you've already mentioned, Stabwood. Yeah. Uh, which is probably the best of them, since it does damage at the same time. Yeah. Obviously, Arrest, as well, is probably the, the best removal for just saying, you're not doing anything anymore. That's it. Yeah. And you're I- out of this game. <laughs> add still your, your enchantment count as well for your ethereal armor. Exactly. I mean, something I always want to talk about was the uh, sphere safety. Is that something you'd consider running in this sort of deck? I don't know. I mean, it would probably depend on how the deck was turning out as you were drafting it. I can see it being possible if you had a, a few flyers and ended up thinking you were going late game. But the problem is, I think sphere safety is more of an expensive card. Yeah. So you probably don't necessarily want it in this kind of sort of balls-to-the-wall aggro deck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just threw it out there because it's another uh, enchantment which has a synergy with the number of enchantments you have. That's true, yeah. You know? I'm not sure. I I haven't actually played Sphere of Safety yet, uh, but I'm not sure what deck you would want it in because a lot of the enchantments are offensive in this deck, in this set. yeah. I mean, of course, the only other defensive one I can think of is security blockade, but that yeah. kind of gives you a creature as well, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like security blockade with this, because, like you say, it gives you a guy, and I like having tokens available to me because of the things like Tristani's Judgment, which populate, yeah, and, that's true. you know, a lot of your combat tricks in white populate as well, and it's nice to have those tokens kicking about just to get the value out of it. Yeah, it certainly doesn't hurt anyway. Yeah. So, what sort of things would make you go into this? I mean, like, if you... I, mean, I know, like, for me, like, for playing Orsov, if I open an Underworld Connections, I'm like, oh, I want to play Orsov. I really want to do it. You know, it's the same mm. with, like, martial law. Things like well, that makes me want to do this. I think the main thing that would probably put me into this was if I was to pick some white stuff up early, um, say I first picked an arrest or something like that, which I'd normally be quite happy to first pick. And then I saw some stab wounds, and, and I'd maybe kind of sort of take both of these and, and hedge my bets as to whether it was going to be a white deck or a black deck, and then I would try to only take white or black cards unless there was anything particularly big as a sign. And then I'd probably just, after a couple of picks, if you see you've got some stab wounds and, and stuff, just start picking up a few armors if they're going around. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I would necessarily force the deck very often. No, but uh, it's, it's one of those things where like it's very easy to tell if black's open to you when stab wounds are getting passed. Yeah, it's true. You know, <laughs> it happens more often than you'd expect, actually, because stab wounds quite a splashable card, I would think. It is. I mean, I've splashed it in a lot of decks. It's sometimes been the only card I've been splashing. So yeah, yeah. it's hard to get some of these cards. I mean, arrest as well. It's it gets called a mythic uncommon in the set because. You, you hardly ever see it because people will pick it even when they're not white yet. Yeah. And I mean, the same actually goes for Knightly Valor to a lesser extent. I've seen people splashing that card quite a bit. Yeah, it's because it's high on the curve, isn't it? Yeah, so it doesn't hurt you as much. Yeah. But, I mean, another thing with the deck is Ethereal Armor has actually started, I don't know, depends on your playgroup, but I think, especially online, um, and, and a, a wee bit at, at my local playgroup as well, it's it's went quite early. Um, I've not seen them going around very much. Yeah, it was definitely the case at the start of the format. They were really underrated, and everybody kind of was kind of they were coming round fourth last pick. <laughs> but because everybody's looking at a potentially a weak enchantment, you know, setting up two for ones, and that was uh, the thinking at the time. But it's actually a lot more powerful than it seems on the surface. Yeah, and I mean that was one thing I forgot to mention back at the creatures bit. Really, is um, Grim Rest, but it's a really good one for your creatures because. You don't have to worry about getting two for one that way. Yeah, yeah. Because of course, the one thing you are always wondering, worrying about, when, especially when you start going all in with about three enchantments on the same creature, 
As if they've got removal, you're just dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, another way of avoiding two-for-ones is making it so they can't target your guys. So, I mean, what, I mean, it's one of my favourite cards in the set, Rubble Black Rhino. And we're talking about splashing. I'm quite happy to splash green with this because you're sort of within Selesnia and Golgari. And you can pick up good cards uh, from green if you need them. And uh, the big Hexproof guy, he's my friend. Hexproof guy with enchantments, nice. Uh, yeah, he's obviously a really good with enchantments, and I love to have him when I've got some of the enchantments when I'm playing Selesnia. Yeah. I think I'd probably be more likely to play Selesnia and Splash Black in that case. Yeah, yeah. Um, it would totally depend on what was getting passed around. Um, yeah. But I think that that would probably be a case of, I'm drafting Selesnia, um, I see some stab wounds, I decide to splash them. Yeah. I mean, would you consider splashing red to get the trample effect on Deviantly? Um, I'd play a guild gate. Um, and I'd probably pick one up specifically for it if there was nothing too good in the pack. Yeah. But I don't think I would play any mountains for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless perhaps you've seen some other red thing that you really want to splash. But yeah, I wouldn't just splash for that. Nah. I mean, that just makes the roustabout better, doesn't it? Because he, without evasion, he can just be blocked all day, even though he's got regenerate. Yeah. yeah I mean, cast. the idea is if you get your guys big enough and they've not got a guy we regenerate, then they're having a chump block. Yeah. Right, so moving on to dealing with other guilds. I mean, we're talking about guilds here. I know that when you draft, you're not exactly always getting a, uh, an exact guild. You're sometimes a guild with a splash or some kind of three-colour thing, but it's probably easiest to break up the strategies into the different guilds. So we'll start with is it. Uh, what are your thoughts on facing Is it with a enchantment heavy deck? Well, I mean, since it's blue, it has one of the worst ways to get around things like the um, Grim Roustabout with its uh, ability to bounce your guys. Yeah, Void Wielder. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to to deal with that. Yeah. Since it doesn't matter how you can protect your guys, they're probably bound, getting bounced anyway. I suppose the way around that is you are being aggressive and you're hoping he's not going to be able to play that Void Wielder in time. Well, yeah, it's turn, it's turn five by the time he can play it if he yeah. hits all his land drops, so there's a chance. And, and yeah. even if they have two Void Wielders, they might not draw them. So. Yeah. It's a, I think it's a case of getting as far ahead as you can, because you've got those enchantments on lifelinkers and things as well. He yeah. might he might be able to bounce your guy, but you're hoping to get far enough ahead that it's not going to hurt you too much and yeah. you can recover. And uh, I mean, I've played as it against someone recently who had a pretty all-in creature enchantment deck that was Rakdos that time, and it was a case of can I survive? He put one enchantment on it, and and I knew I had a an annihilate fire in my deck, so I was like, well, if I can draw that, I can get him. But then he put another enchantment on it. Um, I think they were both uh, pursuit of flights. Yeah. So it was up to a, a five five because it was a it was a one a one one he put it on, and I was getting to the point where I wasn't sure whether I could get to the the five the six mana to draw my explosive impact or not. So yeah, I did in the end, but that that was it was very close. It was one turn away, and it was only one life. I'd, I'd managed to get out enough chump blockers to survive. That's not like you getting getting a little bit of luck on your side, Dan. That's well, not like no, you're no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> but um, I mean, I guess my point is that it was very close there, and sometimes they just won't won't get anything in time. Yeah, and they are forced to chump blocks. I mean, even when I did get that in time, although technically I'd got a three for one with this explosive impact, I'd already chumped twice, so it it completely balances out. So it's not it's not the end of the world if they eventually get a three for one, because you've probably balanced that out earlier on. And, and I mean, their life their life points have to count for cards too. Yeah, I mean, is there a limit on how many enchantments you'll invest in one guy? I mean, will you just empty your hand onto one dude? I think it depends on... Well, obviously, it depends on what they're playing. With the blue decks, the fact that they have bounce, which can get around your guy... Like, it can get your guy no matter how big he is. Yeah. It's an issue. If they don't, and I have a grim rest about it, I'll probably put everything on it, because as long as you keep it regenerate up, there's very little that they can do. Yeah, yeah. I mean... You've got Tristani's Judgment at 6 mana, but you're, you're hoping to kill them before 6 mana, especially if you're going all in on this guy. Yeah, yeah. It does, it depends on the situation. You've got to kind of th- think what you put them on and, and, and work out whether making your guy bigger puts them out of the range of enough removal that it makes it worth it. Because, like, once you get past 3 toughness, there's one thing that can't 
get you. And then once you get past five, there's a few more things that can't get you. So yeah, it totally depends on the situation. I mean, something we talk about with it quite a lot of time is because they're holding on, well, blue decks in general holding on to counters and combat tricks, like you know the uh, mism skins and dispels and things. Yeah. We, we can, we've often said about, you know, putting Mind Rots in, but I mean, obviously this is a really aggressive deck. Is Mind Rot something you'd consider here? Um, yeah, I wouldn't say Mind Rot's a bad idea. I mean, for example, there's the, the Shriek and Affliction deck you were talking about last week. There's nothing saying that you can't put a, a Shriek and Affliction in some Mind Rots in this deck as well. Yeah. And add it yeah. to it. Um, I mean, they're both all in strategies, but they can both kind of work together because, well, Shriek and Affliction's an enchantment. Yeah. I was going to just mention this. It's maybe worth mentioning that our local Friday Night Magic playgroup, the Shrieking Affliction deck, actually took down the whole draft. It did, yeah. It <laughs> went to Rio. Yeah. Um, it beat me in the first round, but I had one complaint in that it didn't actually play Shrieking Affliction in any of the games. <laughs> <laughs> but it did go all in on a, on a creature with enchantments, so they do work together. Yeah, and he, he did win with the uh, Shriek and Affliction in his other matches. I think, yeah, it, it played a big part in the other two rounds, apparently, especially in the final where he, he curved out with it, and it, it does so much. I mean, three damage is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes people not, as soon as you play your Shriek and Affliction on turn one, they, they don't want to get to one or zero cards in hand, so that they're kind of holding things back, and then your mind drops and your skill round get so much better because they're holding things in hand, so. Yeah, it's worth mentioning he had two mind drops and Four skull rounds, is that right? Three or four skull rounds. Three or four, yeah. Yeah, something ridiculous. <laughs> and, and going all in on, on something, building around something does work. So, Shrieking Affliction, we apologise to you for calling you the worst card in the set or whatever it is we did. <laughs> we take uh, it yeah. back. It's Urban Burgeoning. That's the worst card in the set, by far. <laughs> Not even close. Okay, okay, back to the here and now. We're yeah, talking about, yeah. we're talking about Orbs of Enchantments. And should we move on to Rakdos? Have we covered, is it? Is it? Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll just quickly say that because they have so much removal and bounce, um, the one thing they can get with bounce is rubble back rhino. So if you are splashing green for that guy, yeah, that's that's he's my favorite guy, Dan. He's my favorite guy. He, he is awesome, and and he's a rhino, so yeah, you can't help but like. And he's him. a big stompy, stupid guy. Yeah, he's the perfect size for the format as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Even without four, enchantments, four defenses, and he's eating centaurs all day long. Yeah, I would say the one problem is though is. Getting him trample is is quite difficult because if you're already splashing green, then getting your your guild gate and getting it giving it trample is quite difficult. But nah, you don't give it trample. You give just it make them jump Rogue's anyway. passage, Daniel. Rogue's passage. That that's the point. Yeah, um, <laughs> every time. Rogue's passage f- works in this deck really well. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's maybe something we should have mentioned. Yep. <laughs> oh, we did. We mentioned it just now. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Rakdos. Uh, where do we start with Rakdos? He's hitting you hard, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of aggro against aggro, so you've kind of got to watch out for A, they'll have a lot of removal, and B, they're actually racing you fairly well a lot of the time. Yeah. Your your best guys are obviously the lifelink guys um, to help you with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's hard to know sometimes when you're going toe-to-toe with somebody, and like you're talking about a racing game, you're trying to figure out who's the, the real aggro deck. Yeah, who's the aggro, who's the control. And, yeah, and it can change from game to game. You know, it's like one game he draws better than you. He's an aggro deck. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to keep when you when you're, when you're both planning on playing like all out aggro. You have to keep reevaluating this throughout the match to know whether you should be trading or racing. It's, it's something quite difficult. I mean, I think the key to the Rakdos deck is after board, try and streamline your deck as much as possible. Like if they if they are legitimately racing you, you probably don't want cards like Knight of Valor because they're just too expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So just just either kind of going faster. It's a bit like when you go bigger in the Selesnia matchups. You just want to go faster here. Yep. Um, but again, you just have to watch out for their removal as well, though. I mean, I would I would point out, though, that if you can get something to six toughness, um, then they only have one card ultimate price, I think, that they're likely to, go to cast against you that's going yeah. to kill it. Uh, I mean, okay, there's Assassin Strike, but that's six mana again. And if someone has played six mana cards against you, you're probably quite happy. Yeah, and especially if he's the Rakdos player, because he's, if he's filling his deck full of six mana stuff, you're yeah. maybe not as aggressive as you might first, see, might first seem. I mean, the other thing is, if you're racing them, you're actually making some of their cards actively worse. 
because they can't block with some of their cards and um I mean their guild rage is first ability only works on uh blockers. The minus one ability. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because a lot of his guys can't block and a lot of your guys through the enchantments get vigilance. If you yeah, if you if you give them vigilance then I mean that's I suppose Knight of Valor has has one thing in there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you can get a, a, a knight token down from, say, your, your security blockade and then put a first trick enchantment on him, it can get quite difficult for them to actually deal with it. Yeah, 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 definitely. But I mean, yeah, definitely, if you can get a dagger moment, that's, that's probably the best attacker you can have. Yeah, because they've got very little in the air that can deal with it, other than their own dagger drumps. Yeah. But yours is bigger, isn't it? Probably. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you, you are planning on making the guy bigger, so I would expect him to be. <laughs> Yeah, and also on the, the unleashed guys, they're great targets for stab wound. That's true. Yeah, as long as you don't kill them, you know. They can't, they can't block, so, I mean, if, especially, say, you get a, a, a dead reveler or something that becomes a 1-2 that can't do anything apart from attack, so, yeah. worst case scenario, you're trading 1 damage for 2, so, every time. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforward there, isn't it? I mean... Go faster. <laughs> go faster, yeah. Go faster in life, like that's pretty much it. So, moving on, we'll go talk Azorus now. Uh, we're looking at more bounce again. Yeah, we're back to the same thing that as it was had there. It's just got yeah. to really look out for that. They've got a little bit more because they've got their uh, dramatic rescues. Yeah, I mean it's more it's cheaper bounce as well. Yeah, but they have less removal, I think. It's um, close, actually. Yeah, yeah, they've got arrests and Tristani's paralyzing grasp, I suppose. A lot of people don't play paralyzing grasp main deck at the moment. Yeah, but yeah, I don't, I don't think you need to to worry too much about Tristani's judgment if you're if you're the all out aggro version. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a little bit slower, then yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a dangerous one because there's basically nothing you can do against it. Yeah, and they've got the guild charm thing. Yeah, the charm as well. That, that, yeah. That's, bound, that's even more bounce. Yeah. Uh, I think I would be quite happy to say that Azorius is probably the worst matchup. Yeah. And you've just got to try and power through as quick as possible, really. I mean, is, is that the way to go? I mean, could you go bigger against them? Like, could you go take the game longer? Because you know that he's spinning out the game for a big finish. Are you able bringing in your... Uh, Expensive spells? I mean, do your Tristan's judgments and Assassin's Strike come in? Well, if you've got some, then, um, and you expect the game to go long, if you're just too slow to sort of race through it, then yeah, perhaps you could bring one or two in. Yeah. I mean, it depends how many lands you're playing, really. If, if you want to, if you, you'd, you'd probably have to drop a land, because I think the majority of the time I'm playing this deck, I want to have 16 lands. Yeah. So, Azorus has because, I mean, they're, they're maybe not overpowering you in the air, but they're definitely outnumbering you. Yeah. A lot of Zorius decks do struggle to have um, hard removal because arrests and Tristani's judgment are snapped up by other decks. Yeah. And so, you yourself have something. access to probably the best removal in the set, I would say, because you've got, as well as your enchantment-based removal, you've got your assassin strikes. Is it assassin strike? No. The uh, destroy something, make them discard. No, not well that one as well. But the what's the has to be monocolored, two drop doomblade ultimate price. Uh, ultimate price. That's it. Yeah. You've got that as well, and you've got the expensive ones. I, you know, I really think you've got an advantage in the removal side of things. You do actually, yeah. I mean, that's that's the main thing is with black white is they do have a lot of the removal. Um, any, any removal that just kills something is going to be black or white. Yeah. So. You have got that at least. Yeah. Um, I think depending on the, the individual deck, it will totally depend on whether you want to try and just race them anyway or, or, I, I guess if you've got a lot of removal, then it's possible to just try and go bigger. Well, yeah. go longer. Yeah. So, I mean, you reckon racing's probably your primary strategy here? It probably still is your primary strategy. Um, I mean, you're, you're kind of the same, you're in the exact same situation as the Rakdos deck is against Azorius. Yeah. Um, you're okay. just trying to, trying to outrace them. Uh, Golgari. Green and black. Here we're looking at what? A lot of defenders, big guys, and decent removal, I suppose. He's got destroyed target flyers and things, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, his his 
the, the destroy target flyer probably comes in at the board a lot of the time. I mean, I'm, I try main deck it, but it probably comes in at the board a lot. But it, it has Turing and Ricks, um, and the Trestle Trolls to stop your flyers anyway. Yeah, Trestle Trolls. Trestle Trolls probably your worst one. Yeah, how'd you deal with him, Dan? How'd you deal with Trestle Troll? Um, well, I mean, it is only one, one guy, so if you can remove it at the right time. Yeah, when he's tapped out. Um, I mean, if he plays it on turn, Three, it can't block until turn four, because it's gonna to want to hold up and generate. Your guy's probably big enough to kill it. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, he does have a lot of mana available to him, doesn't he? With the uh... if he's got the uh, acting guardians and stuff, then yeah, it's it, it will have a lot of mana. Uh, but I mean, the thing is, I find that the Golgari deck isn't usually. If he's doing that, then he isn't pressuring you very quickly. Yeah, that's so, true. I mean. If you've got stab wounds for this guy, you've got maybe Rogue's Passage, you can just get through some damage and just survive that way. Yeah, I mean, Rogue's Passage is definitely a card here, I think, for the deck, because it's it does get past those awkward defenders. Yeah. And it, similar to Unleashed Defenders make great targets for stab wounds. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the only thing is, Golgari is probably going to be doing a similar thing with you, is trying to just, like, have one guy. Especially if he's doing their scavenge... Uh, if, the scavenge strategy, because that that involves going all in on one creature too. Yeah. Usually. Yeah, but I mean, it definitely makes sphere of safety worse, doesn't it? If he's just attacking one guy and he's yeah. got a big lineup of mana makers. He could probably <laughs> afford it, so I, I probably wouldn't want to play sphere of safety against this guy. Yeah. I mean, there's a chance that early game, if they're playing just mana guys and stuff, you can probably get quite aggressive, get a little bit damaging early. And then just try and finish it off with Stab Wound and, and um, Rogue's Passage. Yeah. Here's here's something I want to bring up, Dan. I wasn't sure when to bring it in, but I'll, I'll go for now, I think. How do you feel about Soul Tithe? The enchantment that forces them to pay the creature's mana cost in their upkeep, or they sacrifice a creature? It, it doesn't really work with your keep enchantments around strategy. No. Since it, you're usually playing it when you want them to not pay and it just dies. But I mean, just as a removal spell that fits in the white deck. You yeah, know. I think I think it's an okay removal spell. It's not. I, I tend not to prioritise it that much. Yeah. But I'll, if I've got one, I'll probably it'll probably make it into the cut most of the time. Yeah. It totally depends what you're against. If you're against something like um, Rakdos, then sometimes if they're beating you, and you, you play this thing, they're just going to ignore it, pay, and then hit you again. So. Yeah, it's, and what was making me think about this was because we're talking about Golgari and if they've got one big guy that's attacking you and you soul tithe it, they're just going to pay it every turn and keep Yeah, it I mean, again, yeah, you've got that. If if they don't need, if they need that guy and it's better than anything they're going to cast, then they'll just pay it, so. Yeah. I think the problem is trying to make sure that you play the card on something that they're not going to want to pay for, but then why are you trying to get rid of it? Yeah. I mean, Trestle Troll's definitely a good target for this, because are they going to be able to pay Trestle Troll's mana cost and yeah, regenerate them? I mean, if they're regenerating it and paying it that six mana turn, they're probably not doing a huge amount else. Yeah. I think this, this card's good when you're applying a lot of pressure yourself, so they can't just keep paying for the one guy that you've put it on. Yeah, yeah. Like, basically, if you're developing their, your board and they're not, then you're going to beat them that way, so you have to already have some pressure on, I think, before you play this card. So, I mean, it could, you could play it in this deck, but I would just want to point out that you can't use it as an enchantment for your enchantment count, because it's probably going to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might, it might count for one turn or something. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Well, I mean, you've got until their upkeep anyway, so if you just want to make your, it'll make your, um, guys slightly bigger if you've got serial armors on them. Yeah. Okay. Actually, one other thing is, um, on Golgari, is you could actually have their sewer shambles in your deck. Oh, yep, swamp walk, evasion. Yeah, like evasion, it, like and makes your guys bigger when you when they die. So. Oh, yeah, see, there's a thing I didn't consider. Scavenge creatures from black. What, what have there's we got not, here? There's not really a huge amount other than that one. A, a lot of the scavenge creatures are yeah. either too big in the case of Terrace Worm, or not just mono black. Yeah. I mean, all your best ones are both colours, really. But yeah, sewer shambles. Awesome, I think, in this deck. Yeah, I mean, I, I quite like the Slum Reaper as well. He's not scavenged, but he forces people to sack things, and I like that against the Golgari. So the 
case being where you've put one down and he's always got left just big guy and there's no, nothing, no way of killing it because you've got nothing good enough. But the uh, Slum Reaper comes down and forces him to sack it. It always brings a smile on my face. <laughs> oh, you've got a big it's, guy. It's awesome when it works. And the problem, the thing with Slum Reaper is if you don't want to sack any of your other guys, you can just play it as a four mana edict yeah. effect. So he fits in the deck fine. Yeah, I think it depends what you're playing against. Because the problem is, if you've got arrests and stuff, then it, it kind of does yeah, suck. Actually, that's maybe a really good point, isn't it? If you're playing arrests and stab and it's such yeah. a bad thing to have in your deck. He's, he's really good against those cards, so you, you don't really want him in, in the deck. I don't think I would put him in this deck to start. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time. It would it would depend on uh, how many stab wounds and stuff you've got and if you've not got stab wounds or arrests or anything like that you maybe shouldn't be in this deck <laughs> yeah I would admit not to uh, not, I didn't really think that one through probably not <laughs> think that one through there Dan I like the card though it's I just not like in this deck yeah. Yeah, right, you're right ok just to sum up go Gary we're looking at getting some damage early and then um, use alternative ways of pushing through some damage yeah. to finish them off because you're going to struggle against his defenders and things. Yeah, I mean, late game, it's going to be difficult. So. Yeah. Okay, so, Selesnia. What can we say about this, Dan? He's got a bunch of 3-3s. Three what are you going to do about it? Well, I mean, you can make your guys bigger. Uh, <laughs> um, it's usually, when playing against Selesnia, is if you can go bigger, then they can't really combat a huge amount. Yeah. And the only other thing you can try and do, if, if you manage to get a guy out that's big enough to block his things... Um, he's either sitting back on a Tristani's Judgment again, which is pretty much the only thing that you can have to kill your guys, mm. or he's going to try and swarm you. So, I mean, if, if he's if he's got a deck that's going to swarm you, you might want your sphere of safety. Yeah, so, definitely, yeah. This yes. might be a, a situation to bring in your, your one of sphere of safety, because if you're attacking, he's chump blocking with a 1-1 burden and backing you back with, like, four three threes. It's probably not great, but sphere of safety probably helps you. Definitely, yeah. I mean, the the cut-off point with Selesnia seems to be a 3-3, so... Yeah. If you can, you really want your guys to be 3-4s, I suppose? Yeah, 3-4s or 3-3 three, three first strikers. Yeah, so, I mean, looking at the list of cards we were talking about earlier, the creatures, there's there's two 1-1s. One yeah. Isn't there? Yeah, you've got the Dagger Drum Imp and the Trained Caracal, and most of the enchantments are plus 2, plus 2, am I right? Yeah. Um, well, it depends how many enchantments you've got, really. Uh, yeah, that's true. You double up, yeah. Yeah, Deviant Glee's plus two, plus one, which is something to watch. Um, Knight of the Valley's plus two, plus two, and Ethereal Armor totally depends on the amount you've got. Of course, yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's usually, I think, playing it as a 2-2 is probably the average, and then it might get bet- better later in the game. Yeah. So, well, I'm just thinking about Train Caracol and thinking he's maybe not that good in this matchup, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. He probably isn't great in this matchup. Yeah. I think you probably want to have Fencing Ace, um, Concordia Pegasus, because any enchantment that increases his power by two is probably going to make him big enough to, to beat these guys. Yeah. Deviant Glee. Deviant Glee on Concordia Pegasus makes him a 3-4. Yeah, that's pretty brutal, isn't it? On a two-mana flyer? Yeah. <laughs> You've got Sunspire Griffin only needs plus one, plus one as well. So it shouldn't be too difficult to get up to a 3-4 or bigger in this matchup. Yep, yep. And I mean, a lot of the time you can fire... Well, I suppose he's got the same flyers as you, but he's got... He's not got as big flyers, has he? No, because his flyers stop at a 2-3. He's not going to be able to make them much bigger than that. Yeah, his guys on the ground are bigger. That's true. Just try to think of other things with Celesnia. Um, I suppose watch out for the tricks again. If you've got um, a mind drop here, then if you know they've got a lot of tricks, you might want to bring it in. Yeah, I mean, the Slesnick guy's always got tricks, doesn't he? Because that's what he needs to populate. Yeah, he has yeah. them a lot of the time. Yeah, he's nearly always got them. And I can't really say it every time with Slesnick. I just watch the order you play things against them. So, like, timing's everything. Yeah, it's true. Okay, well, I think that probably wraps up the dealing with others and therefore the deck. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah, it's a it's a fun deck to play. If you want, if you if you see the cards coming around, there's nothing to stop you jumping into it. Yeah, and and you definitely get the kind of question mark. You know, like what you're playing black white. Yeah, and that's got a bit of satisfaction as well. Because I mean, the surprise is nice. Yeah. Okay, okay, so yeah, pick it up, give it a go. 
Yeah, definitely. Let us know how you do. Moving on. I recently acquired cards for uh, my cube, Dan. Oh, nice. Uh, it was, it was, well, I say recently, it's a couple months ago now, but it's been, it's been, been a while. So the cards I got recently were stuff from Ravnica, but the one I was most proud of was the one I got for my birthday in September, which was a foil Swords to Plowshares. Oh, that's a nice one. Yeah, I was like, yeah. So, uh, some of them we, that we were talking about beforehand, we we're going to maybe discuss, uh, our cubes, because both you and I have our own cubes that we've made, and I think they're quite different. And it's one of the best things about Cube, I suppose, is that it's a you know, really personal thing, I suppose. What yeah, everyone seems to kind of build them in their own way, usually. Yeah. So, I don't know if you want to kick us off with, basically, for those who don't know, describe what Cube is and how you go about building one. I don't know if you want to talk about that first. The thing with Cube is a lot of people have been talking about it recently, um, because it's been on Magic Online for the first time this year, and especially at the moment they're doing the holiday cube, so it's something that people are talking about. Um, basically, a cube is just a collection of cards put together by an individual so that they can then draft with their friends um, without basically any cost. It can come in a lot of different ways. You can get cubes where you've just tried to sort of bring together the most powerful cards in Magic so that you can draft those. I mean, you just, you just draft them like you would draft any, any normal set. You put them into packs of 15 cards, you shuffle them up so that you've got randomised packs, and then you just draft them as, as usual. Yeah. Some other cube formats you can have, or, or you can have a tribal cube, where you've got, like, all the sort of goblins and stuff in red, you put the elves in green, things like that. Yep. You can have pauper cubes, which are just commons, sort of the best commons you can think of. I've heard of limited all-stars, so cards that have been known for being good and limited. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. There's a, You also get the opposite. You get, like, junk rare cubes. Yeah, you, you get <laughs> yeah. comedy ones. Yeah, and, uh, and the worst cards in Magic cube. Um, and then there's also stuff like, uh, some people make a, a cube of a set, so um, you could have uh, an Innistrad cube that's got one of every card from Innistrad in. Yeah. Um, so you want to draft for those. We we did this with Scars, the Scars block, and it wasn't so much one of everything in the set, but we just did commons and uncommons. Yeah. And we put in three, oh, I think it was three of each common and one of each uncommon in the cube. Okay. Or something like that. And we played that for a few months while, we, while Scars was running. Mainly because we were pretty new and we were trying to figure out how to draft the set. But that was interesting. Different way of doing it, I suppose. Yeah, I've, uh, I've not seen that. I've not seen it done quite like that. But like I say, I mean, your cube can be anything you want to make it. Everyone has their own idea. And, and I would always encourage people to sort of just design their cube however they want to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are lists online if you just do yeah. it. You'll get lists of other people's cubes. And, I mean, I'd use these as a guide because it saves you doing a lot. I mean, if you say to yourself, I want to make a high-power cube with all the top-end cards in it, looking at these sites is a really good guide it because yeah. somebody else has done the hard work and they've tested it and played it and they've found what works for them. And it's a good place to start from if that's the sort of cube you want to make. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll have an idea of sort of the best power, the most powerful cards that you can think of. And you'll kind of put all them down, but then you, you might want to see if you've missed a few, so it'll help you pick up, if you're making that kind of cube, it'll help you pick up what you've missed. And I mean, other things is maybe if you, if you're making a tribal cube, you might want to search gatherer for all the elves that have ever been printed and see what you can get that way and, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of resources to help. Gatherer's a great resource. Like, it's on the actual Magic main website, isn't it? Um, I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. But just Google search gatherer and you'll get, it's basically a card database of every card ever printed, isn't it? Yep. It's really useful. It's, you can search it and you can filter down to specific types of cards. You can do it by mana cost, by colour, by creature, by card types, so creature enchantment, stuff like that. So yeah, it's really good for that. Yeah. Right, okay, Dan, uh, what, what's, uh, your cube? Have you, have you want to describe uh, the one that you've put together? Or how, how it is just now? I don't know how you want to go about it. Well, I'm actually, I'm about to sort of go through everything that I've got in the cube and kind of have a look at it because I've not properly taken a good look at what I've managed to get. Because the, the, I originally designed the cube by, I had a look at a few cube lists online because I wasn't sure where to start. It was supposed to be a sort of high-powered cube, so it was just a collection of the most powerful cards. So I had a look at a few lists online. One of the main ones I, I used was Evan Irwin's cube. 
because he was one of the sort of pilots of the, the cube drafting thing in the first place. Yeah. He works for Wizards now, I think. So I had a look at that. I had a few, look at a few others, and I just sort of created a list myself, which had the cube, the cards from these that I wanted in my cube, anything I could think of myself that wasn't in these lists, and then I just sort of set out to try and get as many of these cards as I could. And then from that, I got what I could get together, and then I sort of looked at what gaps I had, and wherever there was a gap, like say I was short of white creatures, I would have a look at what cards I did have that weren't on the list, and kind of try and make it up so it was balanced out. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the cube, although it's not technically finished, I've, I've managed to get it into a draftable format. Yeah, I mean, see when you're assembling all your cards together, Dan, I mean, what were you looking at budget-wise for putting, assembling, I mean, I know that yours is a fairly powered, well, high-powered cube. It's not like a power nine cube, is it? It's designed to be. Yeah. So, at some point, I would hopefully like to get those cards. Yeah. However, I'm working on a budget of, like, basically nothing. I'm going to try and trade for as much of the stuff as possible um, with just the cards that I get from Friday Night Magic and stuff. So I've actually done quite well so far with it. I've managed to get five of the original ten dual lands. Oh, nice. So, I mean, that's a good... I don't know what, what they're worth on average. I think they're probably right. worth about 50 on average. So that's about yeah, 50 pounds worth of cards. And, and a lot of other old cards, they're just the ones that I can think of as probably the more iconic one. So, I mean, you can trade for these cards. You just have to kind of work your way up to them, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but mean, a good way to get some of these cards, actually, if you are trading, is at big events like Grand Prix. There's usually some dealers there, um, like some traders. And if you trade in all your all your rubbish rares, they'll not give you very much for them, but it can add up. So last time I went down, I got two two dual lands for a stack of useless rares that I didn't want. Nice. I mean, it was a couple of hundred rares, but they were they were really rubbish rares. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. here's a quicksilver gargantuan. What can you give me? Oh, we can only give you ten pence. I'll still take it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you, you you can do it that way as well. Cool. I mean, I, I think I went about making my cube in a completely different way, but it's a, good, a different style of thing. Like, uh, my cube is all foil. And that was the main theme of the whole thing, was this was going to be a foil cube. And then a secondary theme was more a foil cube of cool cards, which was a bit vague and a bit a broad kind of spectrum of cards. And it's kind of evolved over time into being towards more powerful cards. Because once you start putting in... Things, things I thought were cool were things like, you know, I'll put my primeval titan and my, I've got this, this cycle of titans in there. Because they were cool. And they were cool. I mean, the, the primeval titan's maybe not a good example because it's not that good in the cube. But the other titans are. And then of course you need to try and balance that out. So like, that's where things like swords to put plowshares ended up coming in because there's <laughs> things, things like foil swords and things and planeswalkers have made their way in. I've now got a planeswalker in each colour. And, you know, it's just grown over time, but I mean, the way mine started was just, I put in a bulk order on eBay for job lots of foil cards, and I picked out the ones which I thought were the best ones for the cube at the time. So it was a pretty random assortment to start with, but it's grown as I've just been deliberately picking out foils from drafts and things. And it's a pretty playable cube now, I think. You know, it's quite ironic, though, um, because for those of you who don't know Steve, he was always the guy at the drafts who would be turning down every foil that was there because he hated the way that they would bend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and from that, he's now basically a foil collector. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's because I've actually found a use for them. Because, yeah. like, four foils, like, they, they seem almost unplayable to me. And it's because of where I live. I have to say, like, parts of my house are quite damp. Well, not damp, but they vary in temperature a lot. It's maybe yeah. just, it's maybe just Scotland in general varies it in temperature. It's a bit damp. <laughs> but I mean, the, I, I think my cards bend more than other people's. I could be wrong. But that's one of the things that put me off foils for a long time. And it always seemed a bit gimmicky, you know? I was like, bah, foils, grow up, it's for kids. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but now I've got my foil cube and I'm quite proud of it and I'm paying through the nose for foil swords to blow chairs and things. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I, I like foils in person. Uh, I think they look really good. So I can see where, where the attraction is. Yeah. 
I can't send files online, though. I, I just don't get that at all. <laughs> it is strange. It's a strange phenomenon. Yeah. My, my make, make-believe cards. <laughs> they animate slightly differently. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> that would be cool if they made animated cards for your guys, you know, did like the Harry Potter thing. Oh, uh, yeah, that would be awesome. That'd be cool. Animated cards online. Wizards, you heard it here first. Yep, you heard it here. <laughs> animated cards. They're going to be worth more. If, if you say this, Wizards, we want a cut. <laughs> we came up with it first. <laughs> yeah. That would actually be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so probably, probably doesn't quite fit into their current Magic Online, but it would be awesome. That would be cool. Okay. Um, so yeah. Um, Slightly, but that's, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, so we've introduced Cube Affair a wee bit. Yeah. I think really the, the, the idea is just to sort of let you, let you know what Cube is if, if you haven't heard of it before and also to encourage you to, well, make a Cube if you haven't made one. Um, if you're, if your playgroup doesn't have a Cube already, then you should be the one to start. Get a Cube so that you can play with it. It, it really is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. it's something that you can do when you don't really want to spend money on packs. You want to have a draft without spending any money. I mean, it, it's just something to do. Something to yeah. do with magic cards once you've got them. If all you, like, I, I know a lot of people that only really play limited. If you, if you don't really play construction, it gives you a use for your cards. So, I can trade all my, my standard playable cards and all the modern playable cards for cards for the cube. And yeah, definitely. That, that, yeah. That's what makes me happy. Yeah. So, <laughs> Whatever works for you, man. So it works. It's, it's, a, it's a really good format. So yeah, I would I'd just encourage the viewers to, if they haven't already made a cube, to make one. And if they have, or if they end up making one because of this, then let us know. Just just send in a bit about your cube. Yeah. Let us know what kind of cube you end up making. Yeah, in fact, did I um, do the links at the start of the show? I'm not sure if I did. The contact links. No, you didn't. <laughs> we'll maybe do do, at the end. I'll maybe do those now. I think we're wrapping up, aren't we, Dan? Yep. yep. Okay. So this was episode nine. I'll do a quick roundup how to contact us. Our main port of call is delving into draft.tumblr.com. We're also on Facebook as delving into draft, and our email is delving into draft at gmail.com. And also, if you want to get in touch with Craig, I know he's not here this week, but if you want to get in touch with Craig, he's on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash ravak underscore. So that's how to get in touch with us. So your hosts for this week were me, Steve, and you, Dan. That's me. (laughs) And the intro and outro music is by Kevin MacLeod. The name of the song is The Cannery and it's royalty-free music licensed under the Creative Commons by Attributations 3.0.